At this time, I would invite you to turn in your Bibles once again to the book of Isaiah. And today we'll be looking at the 42nd chapter. So I invite you to turn with me to Isaiah 42. And when you get there, would you rise out of reverence for God's word as we read our text this morning, Isaiah 42. Let us pray. Sorry, not let us pray. Let us read God's word. Isaiah 42, starting in verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully, faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow tired or faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and the new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants, let the desert and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out, he shouts aloud, he shows himself mighty against his foes. For a long time I've kept my peace, I've kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor, I will gasp and pant. I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands and dry up the pools, and I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do. I do not forsake them. They are turned back and utterly put to shame who trust in carved idols, who say to metal images, you are our gods. Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger whom I send. Who is blind as my dedicated one or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say, restore. Who among you will give ear to this, will attend and listen for the time to come? Who gave up Jacob to the looter? And Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord? Against whom we have sinned, in whose ways they would not walk, and whose law they would not obey. So he poured on him the heat of his anger. 
and the might of battle. It set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. This is the sufficient word of God. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> Have you ever experienced real darkness? Maybe it was outside on a moonless night. Maybe it was during a power outage. Maybe it was being blindfolded for, a, for playing a game. Maybe it was in a dark basement where there was so little light that your eyes could not adjust. Have you ever experienced real darkness? When we are in darkness, we know that it can be very disorienting, confusing. It can be scary not knowing where we're going. We depend so much on our eyesight that when we cannot see, we can become anxious rather quickly. But there are different kinds of darkness. There's different kinds of blindness. We can be intellectually blind to a certain truth. We can be emotionally blind, be confused in our feelings. We can be blind in our lives and in our situations, not knowing which way to go. The Bible talks about spiritual blindness and spiritual darkness. That is something we need to be saved from and set free from. In our, in our passage today in Isaiah chapter 42, in each of the three sections that we're going to look at, blindness is mentioned. We are not to be a people walking in the blindness of sin, but rather in the light of God. So this morning, we're going to look at three sections. Verses 1 to 9, our first point is the servant who heals the blind. Second section, 10 to 17, it's the Lord who leads the blind. And finally, the third section, 18 to 25, the servant who is blind. So the servant who heals the blind, the Lord who leads the blind, and the servant who is blind. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's begin by looking at our first point, the servant who heals the blind. And one of the main reasons that we are studying this particular section of the book of Isaiah from chapter 40 to 53 is we are wanting to figure out who the servant is. We want to see what identity the servant is. And in chapter 41 that we looked at last week, we were introduced to the servant who is Israel, chosen by God. If you recall, chapter 41, verses 8 to 9 said this, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, You are my servant, I have chosen you, and not cast you off. So in chapter 41, we learned that the servant, the servant is Israel. And this word or term servant is going to be used 20 times in this section, chapter 40 to 53. And for most of the, most of the times, the servant who is being referred to is Israel, as we saw in chapter 41. The nation of Israel, also called Jacob, is God's chosen servant 
whom he will surely protect and preserve. So this sense of the term servant is corporate. It refers to a group of people collectively as God's servants. But here, in chapter 42, it's a little different. For the first time, we are introduced to a new servant. And this servant is different from Israel. He's an individual. He's a man chosen by God to accomplish his will and purpose to save his people. So it's not a corporate figure or a collective identity. No, this is an individual figure, this servant of the Lord. He will be talked about four times in these chapters. And these four sections are known as the servant songs. And they're not really songs, that's just what we call them, but rather they are poetic descriptions of the servant of the Lord. And the first servant song is here in chapter 42. The second one comes later in chapter 49. And then the last two servant songs are found in chapters 50 and 53. And so here in chapter 42, we have the first servant song. He is the one who will heal the blind by opening their eyes. So that's why we call this first point, the servant who heals the blind. And so what do we learn about this servant here? Well, verse 1, let's look there together. It says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So this is God speaking here about his servant. And he says that the servant is chosen by God and will be upheld by God. Well, if you recall from last week, that's actually very similar to what we heard last week in chapter 41. That's how God spoke to Israel, wasn't it? God called Israel his chosen servant, and God promised in chapter 41 that he would uphold Israel with his mighty right hand. So, clearly there is a correspondence being made here between God's corporate servant, Israel, and this individual servant of the Lord. But God adds here in verse 1 that his soul delights in this servant. That's a very high praise, if you think about it. Very high praise coming from the living God. So this implies that the servant of the Lord is righteous. For isn't it righteousness that brings the light to God? And if God is delighted to his very soul by this servant, it suggests that the servant of the Lord is very righteous indeed. It says here in verse 1 that God even places his Holy Spirit upon the servant. And this implies that the servant will be a king over Israel, a king like David. For the Lord gave his spirit in a special way upon the kings of Israel to help them rule and govern righteously. If you remember when King Saul, the first king of Israel, when he sinned, what happened? God removed his spirit from him and chose David to be the next king. And then you remember what happened when King David sinned greatly in adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband? Remember what David says in Psalm 51? He prays earnestly 
that God will not remove his spirit from him. What David means there is the special presence of the Holy Spirit given to him as king. He is asking that God would not abandon him as king by taking away this special presence of the Holy Spirit from him as consequence for his sin. And so we see, when we take that knowledge and we apply it here, we see that, that when God says he will place his spirit upon his servant, it is for the purpose of kingship. That's why it says in the next sentence that the servant will bring forth justice to the nations. It was the primary job of a king to see that justice is served. So it is implied here that the servant will not just rule over Israel, not just Israel, but over all the nations. Verse 2 continues, it says, He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Verse 4, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. We see here that the servant of the Lord is a king of peace. All of these descriptions reveal that the servant of the Lord is gentle and humble and peaceable. And yet, at the same time, he's going to establish justice. He will not give up until he has established justice all across the earth, even unto the distant coastlands. And this is in stark contrast with Cyrus the Great. We were introduced to King Cyrus in the previous chapter, chapter 41, where God was stirring up this Persian king as his instrument to defeat the great Babylonian Empire and allow the Jews to come home to Judah. But King Cyrus was different. King Cyrus used military might to accomplish this. He cried aloud. He lifted up his voice in the streets. He broke many a bruised reed and quenched many a smoldering candle wick. He killed many people in battle using his military power to bring these nations into subjection. But in contrast here, the servant of the Lord is the Prince of Peace, promised in Isaiah chapter 9. And the one on whom the Spirit of the Lord will rest from Isaiah chapter 11. Let me just read that description from Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand into the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy 
and all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him the nation shall inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. That is the Prince of Peace that chapter 42 is looking at and talking about. And so God continues to talk about the servant of the Lord. In chapter 42, verse 6, he says, I am the Lord, I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nation, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from prison, those who sit in darkness. So God has called this servant in righteousness. That means both for a righteous purpose and that the servant himself will be righteous. God will make this servant to be a covenant for the people of Israel. And this covenantal relationship with his people Israel will then become a beacon of light to all the nations. And it seems a bit odd to say that God will make his servant to be a covenant. Usually in the Bible, a covenant is made with someone, not that someone is made a covenant. And that makes it sound like the servant of the Lord will act like some kind of mediator between God and his people, as if the servant will be the basis upon which the people relate to their God. The last thing we learn about the servant of the Lord comes in verse 7, that he will open the eyes of, that are blind and will free from prison those who sit in darkness. This means that he will bring the light of truth to those who have only known the darkness of confusion and what is false. And so we ask, well, who is this servant of the Lord anyway? Well, it can't be King Cyrus, as we've seen. For Cyrus was a brutal warrior, while the servant here is humble and gentle. And it doesn't make sense that God would place his Holy Spirit upon a heathen Gentile king. So who is this servant then? Well, it can't be corporate Israel, for the servant will be a covenant between Israel and God. And it doesn't make sense that Israel can be its own covenant. So who is this servant of the Lord? Well, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. I want you to see this with your own eyes. So that's why we'll go there rather than me telling you about it. The book of Matthew in the New Testament, chapter 12. Matthew 12, starting in verse 15. The context here is that the Pharisees have gotten really mad at Jesus and they've, they've had meetings for how they can destroy him. So Matthew 12, 15, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my servant, my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. So how does the New Testament, how does Scripture itself identify the servant of the Lord? 
So the answer, of course, is that the servant of the Lord is Jesus Christ. He is the one who fulfilled this prophecy from Isaiah 42. He is the chosen servant upon whom the Spirit of the Lord rests, the one who comes in meekness and humility, but he will become the covenant for God's people and a light to the nations. It is he who opens the eyes of the blind and sets captives free from prison. So do you feel blind this morning? Are you groping around in darkness and confusion? Turn to the servant of the Lord and grasp his hand, for he is the only one who can open your eyes and set you free. Our second point this morning is that it is the Lord himself who leads the blind. If we look at verses 10 to 12, it talks about singing praise and glory to, to the Lord from the ends of the earth, the coastlands, the sea, the desert, and from the tops of the mountains. So from far and wide, from the highest heights to the deepest depths, the God of creation is to be praised. In verse 13, we see that the Lord is described as a mighty warrior rising up to take on his enemies. He says that he has kept quiet long enough. Now he is rousing himself and getting up to act personally. And when the living God gets up off his throne to act, verse 15 describes what happens. Raw physical devastation. I will lay waste mountains and hills and drive all their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands and dry up the pools. But the main reason that God is rising up to act personally in his power comes in verse 16, which says, And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. So here is the second time in our chapter that the blind are mentioned. In the first section, God had promised that it would be his chosen servant who would open the eyes of the blind. And now here, God is saying that he will lead them personally. He will turn darkness to light and turn tripping hazards into level ground. The servant of the Lord will be the instrument by which God does this. He does not merely open the eyes of the blind and release them from the prison of darkness and then leave them to fend for themselves. No. He will now also lead them and guide them into all truth. He does not leave them alone, but he takes care of them by continuing to lead them and watch over them. But what is fascinating about this chapter is how the servant of the Lord is the expression of God's personal activity in the world. God presents himself as doing this himself, yet it also occurs through the instrumentality of his servant. And so we ask, well then, who is really doing it? The servant or God himself? And we know, we who know Jesus Christ know that the answer is beautifully resolved in Jesus. Amen. Because he is the servant of the Lord who opens the eyes of the blind, and yet at the same time he is God. The second member of the Trinity such that it is truly God 
who is personally accomplishing this. Verse 17 reminds us what blindness looks like. It is the darkness of not trusting in the one true and living God. It is the darkness of trusting in false gods. In depending upon carved idols and metal images to save. Turning to God from such idols is truly going from blindness to his true sight. The New Testament says this. As well, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul says to the Thessalonians, You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and are waiting for his Son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Are you seeking to walk in the light this morning? Know that God has personally brought you out of darkness into light through the person of Jesus Christ. And he continues to care for you by leading and guiding you by his Holy Spirit, as Scripture has promised. Our third and final point this morning comes from the last section of our chapter. Here, the blind themselves are addressed. In verse 18, they are exhorted to both hear and see. And in verse 19, the one who is blind is identified as the servant of the Lord. But wait a minute. Is that the same servant of the Lord as we saw at the beginning of this chapter? No. Because further down in verses 22 and 24, it is revealed that this servant now that we're talking about is Israel again. So now we're talking about corporate Israel the servant of the Lord who is blind and deaf, needing someone to come along and heal their blindness. And it is the true servant of the Lord, Jesus Christ, who will do just that. Israel is a people plundered and looted, it says in verse 24. They are hidden in prisons. They need to be rescued. And Jesus Christ is the one who will rescue the people of God out of their dungeons of darkness. The last two verses of our chapter reveal something new. They reveal that it was actually God who sovereignly handed Israel over to their oppressors. But verse 24 also reveals that the blindness and darkness therein is not simply due to their ignorance, but rather it is primarily due to sinfulness. God handed Israel over because of their sin. Because they refused to walk in his ways. Because they would not obey his law. And that's what blindness is. Blindness means not walking in the light of God. Blindness means loving your own darkness more than God's light. More than God's truth. John chapter 3 makes reference to this. It says, and this is the judgment. Light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. Going back to our chapter, verse 25 says that even in the midst of being punished, sinners are so blind 
that they don't even understand what's going on. They don't take it to heart to change their behavior. And this reminds us that it is only God who can change the heart. It is only God who can turn the sinful heart towards him. And here is where we see the gospel in Isaiah 42. This blindness we see here is a moral darkness. This blindness is a love for sin. But it is the servant of the Lord, Jesus Christ, who comes to break the bondage of sin and to open the eyes of the blind. He is the one who sets captives free. He is the one who arose as God from his throne to intervene personally in our experience. And he did not come in power and might. Instead, he came in the spirit of the Lord, coming as, a, as the Prince of Peace, humble and riding the back of a donkey. He did not come in pomp and extravagance, even though he was the Lord of glory. He did not open the eyes of the blind by merely pointing to the truth. No, he took sin upon his shoulders when he went to the cross. And he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus Christ still opens the eyes of the blind today. Are you blind this morning? Do the cataracts of sin still scab your eyes? Does the burden of the sinful loves in this world weigh down your eyelids? Are you deaf to the call of God? Jesus is the only Savior who can set captives free from darkness. For he is the only one who paid the price for sin with a perfect sacrifice. He is the only true servant of the Lord who obeyed the Father's will completely to redeem a people for himself. So when we come together as the people of God, we worship him in order to say thank you. Because we know and recognize that at one time, we too were lost in sin, blind and helpless, captive to the darkness. But because of God's amazing grace, the Savior touched our eyes so that we could see. And he healed us so that we would love him. And he leads us so that we would get up and follow him. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see.